0: If you have your Bible open up to John chapter number 20, John chapter number 20, I want to talk this morning about the concept of open doors and closed doors. Uh, many times we look at situations in our life and we see closed doors and we get nervous about it or we, we start to wonder, is God moving? Is God actually uh, working on my behalf or is He not working on my behalf? What is on my behalf? What is the situation if you look to the right and to the left and every door that you come across appears to be closed? Well, uh, interestingly enough, this has happened in the Bible more than once, but I want to give a specific example in John chapter 20. So if you have your Bible, uh, look at John 20 and verse number 18. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples she had seen the Lord and that that he had spoken these things unto her. Meaning he said, look, I saw Jesus this morning and it was incredible. And, 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 And he spoke to me and everything. And then verse 19 says this, then the same day, which was that Sunday morning, the first day of the week, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut... Where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, meaning they were concerned because the Jews had just nailed Jesus to a tree, that they were going to do the same thing to them. So, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Isn't it interesting that Jesus did not have to have a locksmith to get involved in the life of the disciples, the apostles in the the room there? Isn't it interesting that Jesus, who had walked with these men for a little over three years, found himself in the midst of the disciples, but he didn't show up to a bunch of faith-filled disciples. He showed up to a place where they were scared for their lives and at least one of them wasn't even there. He was found to be absent. Jesus is stronger than your doubt and your unbelief. If you find yourself in a place where you are concerned about whether or not Jesus can or will intervene or move in your situation, then it's from, it's your best, it's in your best interest to get the accurate mindset of who he is. John walked around and didn't just call himself John when he wrote his Bible, when he wrote the Bible that part of the Bible, he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. You see it's so interesting and I love the song that we sang this morning that says Oh how he loves us. Oh how he loves us. It's so imperative to understand that you love but you have a limit to your capacity to stay the course. He has no limit. So when he says I love you it's an eternal thing. You say what's the difference between eternal and everlasting? Everlasting has a beginning but not an end. Eternal has no beginning and has no When he says he loves you, it's from alpha to omega. There is no in between where he takes a break or takes a halftime. He's crazy about you and he cares for you in your worst moment. He is the one who refuses to leave you and refuses to forsake you. There is an enemy of God. There is an enemy of the things of God. There is an enemy of the kingdom of God. And he's constantly trying to throw a fiery dart into your mind. Just the seed of doubt. The seed of unbelief. The seed of resentment. The seed of frustration. The seed of offense. If he can get a seed in your mind, the interesting thing about a seed is a seed does one of two things. It either grows or it does not grow. So the reality is, is you have a choice when you sense or you feel that decision or that seed of unbelief being shot into your mind or being put into your thinking process. You've got to be the good gardener that takes care of things and manages your vineyard and throw the thing out because a seed is going to do one of two things, grow or not. If it's in the right place, if it's fertilized, if it has soil, if it has nutrients, if it's watered if it's left alone it will grow I tell you another interesting thing did you know you do not have to plant weeds in your garden if you want corn you better go down to the co-op right down the street here get you some corn row your hoe uh, or whatever it's called there hoe your row I guess put your I don't know y'all pray for me Put your corn in the in the ground, cover it up, and then begin to take care of that thing. Believe God for rain in the right season, at the right time. That corn is going to begin to grow. And interestingly enough, it will not just bring you one kernel of corn. It will bring you uh, many ears of corn. So one seed is going to produce a lot of corn in the right environment. But you don't have to go down to the wickedness co-op and say, "I need some weeds so I can fight them out of my garden and go plant weeds all around your corn." No they will grow whether you, are pay, whether you plant them or not. That's right. That's right. So many times in your life, you've got to get good at fighting doubt, fighting unbelief, fighting the spirit of offense, fighting the, fighting the spirit of resentment. Did you know sometimes you have every reason and right to be offended? But when you said yes to Jesus... You lost the ability to be uh, uh, offended or frustrated. You see, Jesus said it this way. He said, uh, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Do you remember what all they did to him? They slapped him, they spit on him, they put nails in his hands, put a spear in his side, put a crown of thorns on his head, they mocked him, they did all these different things. So in our life, we have to realize when we feel we're getting spit on, When we feel we're being slapped, when we feel there's a frustration that's growing up on the inside of us, we've got to get to the point where we start thinking WWJD for real and not just a bracelet, where we sit there and say, what is our job? What ought we to do? Well, what you ought to do is get the spirit of Jesus working and operating on the inside of you, which says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If you could see people for the way God sees them, it's very interesting. You see, hurting people hurt people. People that are in bondage lash out and hurt people. People that are frustrated lash out and hurt people. People that are angry get angry with other people. And if you can see them, you would never look at a child who has a wound on their arm and blame them for bleeding on the carpet. You would simply say, let me help you with that wound. It's the same thing with people in the world that cut you off in traffic and then tell you you're number one. You know, we don't get to the place in God where we we can overlook those things without being able to see and go, they obviously don't understand how much I care for them because I'm doing my very best to love them like I love myself. The minute you look at somebody who's lashing out as a wounded person, it's the minute you have the opportunity to have grace and compassion instead of being frustrated like the world. Verse number 24, Jesus says to him several different things. He talks to him for a minute. And here's an interesting part. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was uh, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, I know I've said this before. But how would you like to have missed church on the Sunday morning that Jesus the Christ with his nail scarred hands appears in the middle? I've had it happen. Not necessarily Jesus, but it seemed to me uh, back when I had to, uh, whenever I was uh, working in, in business a lot more than I am now, I would I would get to the place and sometimes I'd have to go on a business trip or whatever and I'd have to miss a Sunday or a Wednesday and without exception, Crystal would call me at 1030 at night and I'd be in the hotel room about to go to bed and I'd say, how was church? She'd say, whoa man, was church amazing. And I don't know if she was trying to get me to rush home, which is what I was wanting to do anyway. But it seems like when you're not there, something good happens. Have you ever heard about the guy that goes fishing and he decides to take you fishing and you don't catch anything all day and he looks over at you and says, Well, you should have been here yesterday. It's the same thing with God. We can't stay so past-minded that we get out of a present mentality. We can't stay in this present mentality too long that we're not faith in towards the future. Because everything in your life is contingent on your ability and your capacity to believe the Word of God. Because the Bible says, if you believe when you pray, then you'll receive. The Bible says Jesus didn't do very very many miracles in his own town because the people didn't believe. When Jesus was asked by the guy, "If you'll heal me?" He goes, "Don't ask me what I can do." He said, "What can you believe?" He said, listen, I'm not somebody that's that's sitting here with a maybe mentality. I'm looking for people that knee-jerk faith and believe God along the way. Verse 24 says, Thomas wasn't there. Verse 25 said, the other disciples therefore said unto him, we've seen the Lord. They began to testify and tell him. But he said unto them, except I see in his hands the print of the nails... And I put my finger into the print of the nails, and I thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. Thomas is about to, how do you say, eat crow. Have you ever said, I'll never do that, only to find yourself next week doing that? It's the same with God. Do not put restrictions on what you will do for the Lord. Do not put restrictions on what He's called you to do, because I have found I've lived long enough to find out that oftentimes when you think I'll do anything but that, that is a situation where you and I see through a glass darkly, as does the enemy of God. So He's looking into your future as far as He can see to try to throw a while in front of you, a trick, if you will, in front of you to get you to trip up, and if He can get you to talk what you'll never do when the situation comes up for you to do that which God's called you to do. You then have to repent away from the thing that you said you wouldn't do. So He's trying to trip you up before you get there. So a lot of times, what 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 you feel impressed upon to do is a a indicator of what God's calling you to do. But sometimes what you feel outlandishly impressed not to do. Now listen, I'm not talking about I I, I feel impressed not to go to the bar? That's correct. That's God telling you don't go to the bar and get drunk. That's nonsense. I'm pressed not to do drugs. That's God. Don't do drugs. But sometimes in your life you can feel a a drawing away from something which is the enemy of God trying to draw you away from your future and your calling so that when you get there you have to sit there and go well I've spent six years saying I'm not going to do this. Well here I am. Now God's calling me to do it. What am I going to do? Believe God. Do it anyway. Thomas says, I will not believe except I see in his hands and touch his scars. The Bible says that we walk by faith and not sight. You don't live by your emotions and your feelings. Thomas says, I won't believe Unless I see and I feel. Listen, as a Christian, it's your job to live by what you don't see and live for God when you don't feel like it. When we're into the third or fourth song and the tangible presence of God is wrapping you uh, in a warm embrace as if Jesus was hugging you himself. It is so easy to live for God. When it's difficult, it's Thursday night at 7.30 when you get news that you didn't want to get. That's when it's difficult. It's Friday night when it's 11 o'clock. When everybody's in bed and your mind is telling you, what makes you think you're going to be successful? What makes you think your daddy never did anything, your grandpa never did anything, your mama never did anything, your aunt never did anything, and you're just like them? No, you're not. You are in the likeness and image of God Almighty. You are called for a purpose. You are set apart. The God of heaven and earth has prepared a plan for your life that he's going to bring about. And he's going to make it come to pass. But Thomas said this. He said, I won't believe unless I see and I feel. But Jesus said, don't live by what you see. And if you only live by what you feel, you're no different than the world. Amen? Verse number 26. After eight days... After eight days, again his disciples were within, and Thomas with him. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. And the first thing he says is, Peace be unto you. Verse 27 Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither your finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither your hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believe. But believing. Verse 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Thomas, because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, yet they believe. So many times in our lives, we get to the place where we're looking for the thing that we can touch. We're looking for the thing that we can see and we want that to be the trigger in our life. But Jesus says something very interesting. He says, believe without seeing and if you will do that... You will be in the blessed category. You see, we call Dom, uh, Thomas doubting Thomas because of what he said. But if he hadn't said anything, we would just call him Thomas. But Thomas didn't doubt, so you and I could look back at him and go, I can't believe he did that. Thomas doubted, or excuse me, the recording of Thomas doubted is a tool for you and I to look back on and say, you know what? Even in Thomas's worst, Moment, whenever he was laying out a a, a set of guidelines that Jesus was going to have to do in order for him to believe, he found out that the first thing Jesus said to him whenever he showed up in the middle of a sealed off room is "Peace be unto you." Your situation needs peace as much as it needs as much as it needs anything else. And just like Thomas, you ought to get to the place where you speak what God speaks. And not what you're feeling in the moment. You know, God spoke everything into existence, the Bible says. It's the same with you and me. Abraham called things as though they were not, as if they were. So it's the same thing you and I are called to do. If you're battling something in your life, there is no need in you replaying it with your words. On the contrary, use your words as a tool for the hand of God. The Israelites were walking around and the Bible says that whenever they crossed over the Jordan uh, Jordan River with Joshua leading the way, the first thing they came against was a big city called Jericho, made out of an impenetrable wall that had never been conquered or knocked down. And everything about that wall looked over Overwhelmingly strong and a place that they could never get through. But all God needed was not the swords, not the hammers, not the picks, and not the axe. But the voice of his children was sufficient to destroy the thing that was keeping them out. You and I have to get to the place where unlike Thomas, when we don't see and we don't feel... We use this tool, our voice, our mouth that God has equipped us with to speak things into existence, to speak blessings over your household, to speak blessings over your place of business, to speak blessings over your family, to listen. To speak blessings over your car. Most dangerous thing you'll ever do is get on a car and drive on Highway 6 at 78 miles an hour. Because they'll give you three miles, y'all. You can just... (laughs) I don't know if that's true. It's what my wife said. Wait, she's in here. I can't even do that this morning. (laughs) The most dangerous thing you'll ever do on a daily basis is get in a car. Use your mouth to speak blessings over every situation. Every situation. You say, well, God probably doesn't care about that. You're wrong. If He cares about the birds of the air, how much more so does He care about you and me. Here's the scenario. Not only are doors shut sometimes in our life, sometimes we can't even find the door. It's easy to go through a door that God opens. And it's easy to stop at a door that we know God closed. But what if you find yourself like the disciples, shut in and not knowing what to do or where to go it's in those seasons it's in those times where you've got to hold on to several things number one make absolutely certain that you guard your tongue just because you think something does not mean you have to say something just because you think it does not mean you need to release it in the atmosphere Just because the thought crosses your mind, it could be a fiery dart of the enemy. Just because the idea comes to you doesn't mean you mean to say it. Ma'am, just because you want to call him a so-and-so doesn't mean you have to. Uh, Sir, just because you want to say something to her about burning the chicken or whatever doesn't mean you have to because next time you'll cook your own chicken. But the situation is simple. Because it comes through your mind, let let me put it like this. Animals oftentimes are pre-programmed. Okay? I'm going to give you an example. Animals oftentimes are pre-programmed. If you take uh, an animal in the right situation, let's talk about a lion. If you take a lion in the right situation and you give him nothing to eat for two weeks and get him real hungry and then you let him out in a field with one of those gazelle with the little twirly horns I can tell you what's going to happen to that gazelle that lion is pre programmed God put it on the inside of them, what he would do in that situation before he got to that situation. When hunger gets to the place, now if he's not hungry and he's fat and sassy, he's laying in the shade, a gazelle might can go lay down with him for a little while. But the thing better get up and run before that lion starts getting some hunger pains because that thing is pre programmed on what to do. You and me are not pre-programmed. We are pre-wired. We can go this way or we can go that way. We can choose to go left or we can choose to go right. And in your life, you have to make absolutely certain to guard your tongue because in the hardest times of your life, when the enemy comes in like a flood, when you're locked in you can't find a door, you don't even know the the next move to take, you have the choice. You can either speak the Word of God or you can speak something else. You can speak the Word of God or you can speak something else. Everything in your life has a choice because you're not an animal. You're not pre-programmed. We don't know what you're going to do. You're pre-wired. God gave you the ability to choose right from wrong. So in the process of living this life, make absolutely certain when you can't find the door, you guard your tongue. Protect what comes out of your mouth bring every thought into captivity the scripture says that we cast down vain imaginations and in in the Greek it's, it's really interesting it's the idea of violently apprehending a thought that is contrary to the word of God when something comes into your mind and doubt begins to seep in where it says, you know what, uh, they're going to be laying some people off next week or, or or something's not going good with your marriage or something's good is not going with a relationship, that's called doubt trying to get in. That's called a vain imagination that is contrary to the Word of God. And you've got to get the ability, nay, you've got to get the decision-making capacity to arrest that thing and say, you will not have a way in my life just because I thought it doesn't mean I say it guard your tongue. Number two, your tongue is the rudder of your life. Everybody right now knows Thomas as doubting Thomas because of what he said. If you don't know what to say, do what God told the Israelites to do when they stared at Jericho. Keep your mouth shut. If you do not know what to say about a a situation, then keep your mouth closed. If you can get good at understanding that your tongue is the rudder of your life, it determines, if you let me listen to how somebody talks for a week, I can tell you where they're going to be next year. If you can listen to how somebody talks for a year, I can tell you where they're going to be in 20 years. Your whole life is determined and directed by your tongue. If you want to control a horse, it doesn't matter if it's a big stallion or or a race horse that won the the deal yesterday. I don't know if you guys watch uh, horses race, but there's a horse yesterday that won uh, two of the three legs of the triple crown. It's getting very exciting. Uh, But anyway, they control where that horse goes just by taking a bit and putting it in its mouth. Now, if you look at it from the, from the outside, if you say, well, how can I control a 1,500 pound animal? Well, I would say, number one, we're going to need a big chain and we're going to need a big rope and maybe a tractor. No. A little piece of metal that big in the right place dictates where that animal goes. It's the same with you and me. Your tongue is the rudder of your life. Number three, hold fast your confession of faith. Hold fast your confession of faith. Don't let go. You'll have every reason to let go. You'll be convinced, like Job, by your friends that you should let go. Don't let go of your confession. I remember, uh, I believe it was Haley, it may have been Walker, but, but Crystal came home one day from the grocery store and, and uh, one of the babies was about two years old and one of the things that we've committed to is we just don't speak ill of our children. That doesn't mean that we don't discipline them. It doesn't mean that we don't do our best to raise them up in the way they should go. But it just means instead of saying you're stupid, which we're not going to do, we say to them, "Hey, baby, that's not you. That's not the way you behave. You know what? You're a good. You're a good boy. You're a good girl." Instead of saying, "I can't believe you'd be so dumb to do that," we would say, "Oh." you know what, that might not have been the best decision. That's not the way you behave. That's not the way you act. We make sure and guard our tongue when we speak to our children because we're trying to get something out of them. Listen, I'm not going to be here forever. Crystal's not going to be here forever. When she gets to be, you know, 120, she's probably going to go to heaven. So from, from that standpoint, our kids are going to need to be able to live without us. My grandfather used to say it this way to his children. He would say, I'm not raising you to get along with me. I'm raising you to get along without me. So we're raising our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We've we've made a a covenant where we don't speak ill over them. We don't speak negative things over their life or into their life. I don't care what the teacher says. I don't care what the principal says. I don't care what anybody else says. If it's spoken over my children coming out of her mouth or my mouth, it's going to be something that's in line with this book and not what the devil's trying to say about them. So anyway... Sometimes that means you got to make decisions. So we're living and, and, and we go and, and, and Crystal comes home from the grocery store one day. Or I came home from work anyway. We're, you know, we're sitting there having coffee at the end of the day. And she's telling me about what happened. She said, you know, I was at Kroger today. I said, oh, great. You know, how was Kroger or whatever? She said, good. She said, I was going and and I think it was Walker. I'll blame him because he's a boy. Uh, but, but they were in the checkout line. And, and apparently he really wanted a donut or a bag of candy or, you know, whatever. And she said, no, baby, no candy candy. candy right now and 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 believe it or not he he might not have said exactly what he was supposed to say in that moment he's probably said something like but i really want one or or whatever And, and, and crystal said well baby that's not how you act and there's no donuts today or no candy whatever it was well the person in line behind them said huh boy he's in the middle of those terrible twos isn't he Now, I'm not telling you, you got to be like this. I'm talking about my wife. (laughs) Here's what she said. She said, ma'am, I think it was a lady. It was a lady. She said, ma'am, there's nothing terrible about my children. He wants some Skittles. He can't have them. But there's nothing terrible about him. Now, let me step out of my faith suit for a minute. He was saying probably something that could be easily classified as terrible. He shouldn't have said what he said. I don't know what he said. I don't care. But he shouldn't have said it. Okay? But that doesn't dictate what we say. See, we guard our tongue and we understand that our words, our mouth, our tongue is the rudder of our life. And in the difficult moments when the easiest thing in the world would be go, yeah, (laughs) bless God, I guess this is just a terrible da-da-da. No, we hold fast our confession of faith. When you go to the doctor and they say something good, you give them a high five and you walk out of there. When they say something bad, you hold fast your confession of faith. There's only one thing worse than the pain of uncertainty. When you're in the room and you can't find the door and you don't know the next step to take, there's only one thing worse than the uncertainty that you feel in that moment and that's regret. Because here's the situation. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, You're not called to fear any evil because here's why. He is with you. When you get to the other side, you don't want the regret of looking back and saying, God, I'm so sorry that I doubted you along the way. You want to get to the other side and rejoice and say, Lord, I never doubted you in the process. Let's go to the next mountaintop. He's going to bring you through. Don't lose your confession along the way. Don't quit in the valley. The only thing worse than losing is quitting. God will take you back. There's no question. But get a right perspective on who he is. He's working things out on your behalf right now. The power of His Spirit goes into a room before you go into the room. The favor of the Almighty rests on you. When you ask for something in the name of Jesus, all of heaven and earth responds. Everything about your life has been positioned for success and greatness. And God is doing these things on a regular basis in your life. But you've got to make sure you get the proper perspective all the way and hold fast your confession. The valley between victories presents an interesting opportunity. Your uncertainty is what you can see, but our faith is what we cannot. So many times we've got to train ourselves to lean in the area of the unseen instead of leaning in the area of what we do see. What you'll find is God requires no door and no gate. The disciples were gathered in a room, and two times the Bible specifically points out that the doors were shut. Jesus needs no door. The Bible says Jesus is the door. Wherever He is, you have access and opportunity to go anywhere. You don't need to get understanding on everything. You just need to get faith in who He is. And if you can trust Him, then you'll understand in your life that your victory is as assured as the next sunrise. There's nothing about your life that that lacks power. There's nothing about your relationship where he's sitting there looking wanting because the whole balance of who you are hangs on who he is. The whole balance of what he's accomplished is what has empowered you to have access to be able to speak the word of God into your situation. When you have the opportunity to say nay, but you say yes anyway. That's when God shows up. If you serve the door, you don't need a door. If you serve a door, you don't need a gate. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not in the business of losing you. He's not in the business of holding doubt over your head. So if you're in the building right now and you're thinking, Man, I wish I hadn't this. You know, if I could have this. Here's the first thing he would say to you, Thomas. Peace unto you. Need to touch my scars? Touch him. But don't be faithless. Because in the right season, in the right time, he's going to show up. He's going to turn everything around. It doesn't take any skill to see the possible. It doesn't take any skill to see what's in the natural. And certainly doesn't take any faith. But I'll tell you a secret. I live my entire life Banking on what I cannot see. I live my life believing that what I see in the natural, this building, New Heights Church, is just a fragment of what God's going to do. Icebergs in the ocean like that sunk the Titanic and things like that. They say that 90% of the ice on an iceberg is underwater. What you see is just a fragment of what God's doing in your life. You know, so many times we look at our friends and family and we're believing God for them. And it's like, you know, when are you going to turn it around? When are you going to come back to God? When are you going to believe God? When are you going to trust God? When are you going to this? When are you going to that? And you're looking for the big thing. Well, the big things aren't all that valuable. But sometimes it's the smallest things that have the greatest value. People will go move a hundred thousand pounds or tons of dirt to find a handful of diamonds. We're not looking for the big thing that makes a mess. We're looking for that little valuable thing. So in the right season, the right time, those people who we're praying for, those people who we are believing God for, we get the joy of when they come to us and they're concerned about what we would say. The first thing we would say to them is peace unto you. Maybe you wouldn't say it in 2014 like that. Maybe you would see, maybe you would say, you know, I'm I'm so glad you came around. Never think another thing about that. I love you. Yeah, you shouldn't have said that to me. I get it. But if we really want to be honest, maybe I thought some things that I didn't say to you. I wish I hadn't thought Everything about your life is predicated by what you speak into existence. It's the same with God. The earth that we walk on, the sun that we get burned by. Some of us, I get burned bad by. It has everything to do because God spoke it into existence. Never allow your attention to shift from the one who is calling you to the one who is threatening you and provoking you. The Bible talks about God's voice as a still small voice. The Bible talks about the voice of God in a way like this. like this. Jesus says, My sheep know my voice and a stranger's voice they won't follow. Your life is filled with opportunities. Jesus' voice sounds like this. I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Jesus' voice sounds like this. It's not whether or not I can. It's whether or not you believe. Jesus' voice sounds like this. You'll never give up anything for my name that I won't repay you a hundredfold in this life. Jesus' voice sounds like this. It says, I didn't come to be ministered to, but I came to minister. Jesus' voice sounds like this. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Jesus' voice sounds like this. I will leave the 99 sheep that are fine, well-fed, and safe. And I will go into the wilderness to find the one who has gone astray. The enemy's voice sounds like this. You're not going to make it you've never been smart enough you don't even have a a high school diploma you don't have a degree why would they give you the job why would the opportunity show up to you, you're never going to make it your great grandma had diabetes your grandma had diabetes you'll have diabetes your great uh, 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 grandmother had cancer, you're going to have cancer that's what the voice of the enemy says and he's so much louder because the Bible says that he goes around like a roaring lion seeing who he can destroy but Jesus is the still small voice that the first thing he says is peace don't ever give more attention to the paper champion enemy of God that is screaming at you than than the one who simply calls follow me and I'll make you fishers of men I understand you had your life mapped out but I'm preparing a life that's far better it's going to have its heartaches but the end thereof will be eternity with me joy unspeakable No more tears, no more sickness, no more pain. This is the eternity that you'll find in me, and I just want you to follow me. It's not that he, it's not that we don't have the opportunity to doubt. It's that we choose not to doubt. I close with this. Kind of a recap. Remember, when you're in the valley between breakthroughs, Jesus says, blessed are the ones that believe, that don't see. Guard your tongue. If you're the person that you've spent your life saying something like this, I just tell it like it is. I call it like I see it. I would recommend shifting that. Quit calling it like it is and speak of things that are not as though they were. Say something by faith. You say, what do you mean? Get up every morning and say, I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. Send your kids a text message. The blessing of God will overtake you today. Speak faith into somebody's life. Guard your tongue. Hold fast your confession of faith. Don't let go. You will always have an opportunity to let go of your confession of faith. You say, Well, where do I apply it? Everywhere. Every area of your life is a good opportunity to apply your confession of faith. My line is not your line on everything. As a man believes in his heart, so it is with that man. To know what is right and not do it to him, that is sin. There are biblical truths that are the truths that are absolutes there's some areas where we're working our salvation out with fear and trembling meaning there may be something that I'm not comfortable doing because of my relationship with God you're comfortable doing it It, it, it's not necessarily a, a biblical black and white right or wrong I'm not here to make a big point out of any of that stuff I'm just telling you have a line somewhere where you hold fast your confession of faith. Now there are some areas that are clear in the Bible. We're not going to have any other gods. We're going to love our neighbor as ourself. We're not going to serve God and money. These are clear things in the Bible, places where you just ought to draw a line. But in some of the other areas, in the cultural areas of 2014, where you've got to make decisions on what's going on all the time because the news is saying this, and MTV is saying that, and everybody else is saying something else. Let there be some lines in your life where somebody can look at you from the outside and say, you believe what you say you believe because I can see the fruit in your life. When I look at a lemon tree, I can't tell you it's a lemon tree because of its twigs. I can tell you it's a lemon because it's got lemons hanging off of it. You know a tree by its fruit. Let there be something in your life that screams, I've been changed. We're not shoving it down anybody's throat. We're not backing off either. We have just as much right to be right about the kingdom as the world does about being wrong about the kingdom. They're wrong. All roads do not lead to God. There is one way to the Father. That is the man Christ Jesus. That's it. End of story. That doesn't mean that we want to walk up and throw Jesus on him like some kind of pile driver from the top rope or something like that. But what it does mean is you hold fast your confession of faith. God will open a door for you in the right season, the right time, but here's the scenario: it's not necessary he specializes in walls at one place he took a prophet and he wrote with a hand on the wall so the prophet could see it and another time the Israelites were walking around Jericho and he knocked the wall down in front of them and to this day if you go to Israel there's a wall that's still up from the original temple that Solomon built and people stand there all the time and pray to it because God specializes in walls he needs not a door or a gate because he sent his son and his son is the door for you and for me. Don't grow weary in well doing and do season you're going to reap. Keep your focus on the one calling you. Pay no attention to the one provoking you. Resist the devil and he will flee. Stand to your feet if you would, please. I've got one more point. What you see is not reality say so what do you mean I'm standing on the yeah okay what you see is not the whole story you see the evidence presented to you will lie to you when the evidence says something contrary to your confession the evidence can lie there was a time in the Bible when a man named Jacob wrestled with an angel got his name changed to Israel had 12 sons. One of his sons' name was Joseph. The Bible said he really favored Joseph. And his brothers didn't like Joseph because Joseph was a dreamer. A lot of you have big dreams. Please don't stop dreaming. We need you. We need you to dream. We need you to have big ideas. We need to have uh, creative ways to get the gospel spread in this area. We need your dreams. We need the dreams of building a great business so you can bless the body of Christ. We need dreams of building a great business so you can provide great jobs. We need big dreams. We need need you to dream out there. We need you to say that my kid, though I didn't go to college, they're going to go to college. And in Jesus' name, everybody in my lineage is going to be Educated, Dream. Joseph was a dreamer. His brothers hated it. (laughs) They said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill him. And they took his coat. Because his daddy had given him a real nice uh, coat. Real pretty coat. Coat of many colors. You know, there's a good little song. Kids sing about it. And they took the blood of a lamb. And they smeared it on the coat. After throwing... Their brother in a pit, later selling him into slavery. But they took the coat back covered in blood and said, Daddy, Joseph is dead. Joseph, of course, believed his sons. But the reality is the evidence lied because Joseph was alive and flourishing even though he was thrown in a pit with no doors. The right season, the right time, God elevate him out of the pit, elevate him out of the prison, made him number two over all of Egypt and able to supply his family's needs according to the riches that he had been entrusted with. But the whole time for Jacob Joseph's daddy. He believed Joseph was dead because the evidence that was presented to him. I don't care what it looks like. God is going to make a way. I don't care what it looks like. God is going to move on your behalf. Don't get weary. In due season, you're going to read. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we magnify you. Thank you for listening. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info.